Thanks, Matt. Well, next week is Christmas. Next Saturday. I don't know about you, but I still get excited about Christmas. I love all the things about Christmas. I love the lights. I love the presents. I'm not above enjoying opening up a gift. I remember when I was young in seventh grade, when you know you think of what is the best thing that you were ever given. When my parents bought me a stereo, and that was that was it for me. That was the greatest gift I ever got. I'm telling you, the stereo was awesome. It was one of those all-in-one units from the 70s, so it had the really cool turntable on it, and it had the state-of-the-art 8-track tape player. And I'm telling you, there's, if you haven't ever heard a song on an 8-track tape player, you really have missed out. Especially that last one where it's, it kind of goes between tracks and it skips part of it, and you have to wait for it to catch up on the next track. It is it is technology that is, I, it's, I still love it. Anyway, I remember that. But you know, you think, you know, what is the greatest gift I got? But, but isn't the old saying, isn't it better to give than to receive? And so the question that I ask today is, what is the greatest or the most generous gift you've ever given? Think about that. So as I got older, you know, and I moved to Colorado and I met Sherry, it didn't take me long before I knew that I really wanted to marry her. We started dating on June 14, 1986, and in September of that same year, we decided to go and pick out a ring for her. And fortunately, Sherry was very, very kind, and I was able to put that ring on layaway with the goal of getting it out for Christmas. I wanted to give it to her and be formally engaged on Christmas Day. Well, it took a lot of overtime and a lot of work, but... Um, even though I wasn't really following the Lord at that time, God was gracious, and he allowed me to pay it off. And one of the greatest days of my life was when I went and paid that off, and I knew I was going to give it to her. And at Christmas morning, I formally got down on my knee and asked her to be my wife. Fortunately, she said yes. I have to tell you, it was a little touch and go. <laughs> I wasn't sure exactly. I was pretty certain, but not 100%. Anyway, she said yes. But to me, that's the greatest gift that I've ever given anyone because I gave myself, I gave my heart, I gave my pledge to her that I would take care of her, that I would protect her, that I would be faithful to her all the days of my life. And when she said yes, she did the same thing for me. She gave me her grace, and I gave her my grace. Definitely a gift that neither of us really deserved, but God, in his great mercy, brought us together. And I have to tell you, and I have to confess to you again, you know, you hear, well, you know, you should be praying for your wife. I didn't pray for Sherry. I didn't even know to do that. That's how merciful and how graceful and how generous our God is that he brought her into my life, and I didn't even know to ask him. Last week, Matt took us through the Bible to find five examples of God's generosity to us. And I want to remind us of those things. And we're going to look at one of them today, in specific. The first one was that God's creation of the universe, including people made in his image. The second one was God's revelation of himself to us. His people, in his word, in his creation, in his mission for us. 
The third was God's incarnation of his son, Jesus. That's the one that we're going to look at today. Fourth one was God's redemption of sinners through Jesus on a Roman cross and a crucifixion. And the fifth one was God's gift of the Holy Spirit given to his people whom he has called to himself to be their Savior and Lord. And as I said, we're going to look at God's gift of grace through the incarnation of his son, Jesus, today, because of course we're one week away from Christmas. So what a perfect time to talk about Christ's incarnation. We're going to take a look at the announcement of the advent of Jesus through the eyes of Joseph in Matthew 1, 18-25. We're going to look at God's generous gift of grace given to him freely, and who he also gave us his grace through the advent of his Son. So let's read Matthew 1, 18-25 together, and then we'll pray and we'll get started. Matthew chapter 1, verse, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When, G when uh, Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he, he knew not her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're thankful for the story that you've given us about the gift of your Son. Lord, I pray that this morning that you would be glorified in our message, that this would be your word spoken through me, but it would be your voice, Lord, that people would hear. Help us to open our hearts and our minds to what it is that you have to say to us today through this message, through the advent of your Son. We praise you and thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we look at Joseph's life, and we read those first two verses, verses 18 and 19, and we think of Joseph, you know, Joseph was a carpenter. Now, he might have been a fine carpenter. He might have been a carpenter with a great reputation, but, but there's really nothing in Scripture that speaks of him as being anything but ordinary. Ordinary and in the view of the world. It doesn't seem that he was particularly wealthy. We don't know how handsome he was. He really, we really don't know much about him at all. In fact, he is only spoken of in Scripture briefly. There is no word of him being involved in Jesus' life past the age of 12 when Joseph and Mary found Jesus in the temple teaching. It is by the grace of the Lord alone that Joseph was even chosen to be the earthly father of the one who would save his people from their sins. A no-name carpenter of no real consequence was chosen to be the dad of the Savior of the world. 
Can you imagine? Scottish theologian William Barclay says this of Jesus. He says, Jesus was not so much the man born to be king as he was the man born to be savior. And Joseph, God chose him to be his earthly dad. And when we start looking in verse 18, we see that Mary and Joseph, they were betrothed to be married. That's what we would call engaged. It was a long process in the Jewish faith where they were essentially engaged, but it could last for a year. It could last for a year, and during that time, they could not have sexual relations with each other. And Mary could have been as young as 12, and Joseph would have been much older than that. You know, he might have been in his 20s, but the age difference would have been greater. It's hard to believe that as a dad of two daughters that my daughter would be engaged at the age of 12. But those were the times, and that's what happened in those days. Mary was a very young girl. And at the end of verses 18 and 19, during their engagement, Mary became pregnant, but not by Joseph, but by the Holy Spirit. And how that happened is a much debated topic, of which we are not going to focus on today. But just know that the conception of Mary was divine by the power of the Holy Spirit. And at this time, Joseph himself, he didn't know who the father of Mary's baby was. And this created a big dilemma for him. He is described in Scripture as a righteous man. What would he do? What would you have done? I'm not sure what I would have done. Deuteronomy, the, in God's law, in Deuteronomy 22, 23 through 24 says that a betrothed virgin is to be stoned to death if she had sexual relations with a man, and if the man violated her against her will, he too is to be stoned. So the consequences of what Joseph is understanding at this point are very harsh. This is a very harsh, strong, strong consequence to what he was hearing. But because Joseph loved Mary, he didn't want to hurt her or cause her to possibly be stoned. So he decided to divorce her quietly. This would lessen the effect it would have on both of them. He couldn't stay married to her because it was against God's law. But Joseph wanted to show Mary mercy. He wanted to provide her grace. He wanted to show her that he loved her. And this was in his thought process as we can read through the scripture. According to the law, all Joseph had to do was give Mary a writ of divorce before two witnesses, and she would be free to quietly go on her way. But that's not what happened. So how does this apply to us? How do we see these verses? What can we take from this? Well, it's complicated. A little bit. Joseph loves Mary, yet she is an adulterer in his mind. The news had to hurt him deeply. The woman he was pledged to be married, the woman he couldn't even have relations with yet, couldn't wait for him as he had waited for her. And now she is pregnant. He must have been deeply hurt by this news. But he also must have been very confused. What is going on here? What is happening? But Joseph didn't have all the facts yet. He just sees the evidence. He doesn't understand what is happening. He is trying to decide based partially on his emotions and just a few facts. And yet Joseph thinks of Mary 
And because he loves her, in spite of his own pain, he decides not to put her to public shame and possible death and decides to handle the situation quietly with grace. With as much grace and mercy and love as he could for his wife. You see, sin has its consequences after all. But he can show Mary grace even though she doesn't deserve it in his eyes because based on what he knows at this point, in spite of her sin against him, he still loves her. If you were in Joseph's shoes, how would you act? How would you respond? How would you show the grace and love that he is trying to show? Or would you go for the jugular and demand the harshest punishment possible? As believers, we're called to love people, even our enemies. Sin has consequences, but we are commanded to be a people of forgiveness, to show grace and patience. And we can show grace just as the Lord has shown us grace. And as we'll see today as we go through this message, we'll see how Jesus forgives us and hands out punishment to us for our sin. How he treats us should be how we use that as an example of how we treat others who may have sinned against us. But again, reminded, Joseph doesn't have all the facts yet. Have you made any decisions in your life without having all the facts? How did that turn out? Sometimes rather embarrassing, if you ask me. <laughs> I've done that so many times, it's not even funny. But even though the Matthew doesn't say for certain... Joseph doesn't seem to have talked to Mary yet, but he may have. Before we, and so he hasn't even really maybe gotten her side of the story as to what has happened. And so the lesson that we can take for this is that before we make any real decisions of any consequence, and really any decision at all, we need to have all the facts. We need to understand both sides of the story. And we need to go to our Lord and ask Him for wisdom as to how do we judge those facts. Because as we just learned in the book of James, God is the one who provides us the wisdom, and He tells us that if you lack the wisdom, come and ask me, and I will give it to you. Again, Joseph, he only knows part of the story. He doesn't have both sides yet. He's in a tough place right now. What should I do, he's saying to himself. He is about to get the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say on the radio. And he'll begin to see that the issue is much bigger and more important than he could ever imagine in his life. Mary's condition has eternal consequences, and how Joseph handles it plays a part in God's plan. What is it that makes it so important? What is missing from what Joseph knows about his bride-to-be? Did she really step out on him? Well, let's look at verse 20. Joseph receives the inside scoop. Verse 20 says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel explains to Joseph in a dream how Mary became pregnant. It is a story that defiles, it, def it, 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 it is beyond imagination. 
Mary didn't fool around behind Joseph's eyes. Not at all. She is carrying the Son of God in her womb. She has been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph was told not to be afraid of what was happening in his life, in the life of Mary. So fear for Joseph meant not to hesitate taking Mary as his wife and into his home, to accept her with the grace that the Lord has showed Joseph when he accepted him. This was a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit and a great honor and a sign of God's grace to him that he would be chosen to be in this position. It wasn't anything Joseph had done. This was of the Lord's doing alone. Joseph was about to be the earthly father of the Messiah. He was going to be the one who was going to show him how to use his tools and his work in carpentry. He was going to be the one who was going to read to him. He was going to be the one to lead him in the law. A heady task ahead for a man of no consequence. Joseph was about to be the earthly father of the eternal Lord. We remember Jesus is eternal. He is God. He has no beginning or end. He is fully human and fully God. Never one without the other. This baby in Mary's womb is hard to imagine, but he is holding up the universe with the power of his holy hand. How that happens, I don't know, but it did. Because that's how God works. Jesus' divinity allowed him to be the perfect sacrifice to take all the sins of the world. And it was his humanity that allowed him to fill, fulfill his destiny on the cross. Hebrews 2, 17-18 says, Therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful, merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. His divinity allowed him to be the perfect sacrifice to atone for all the sins of the world and take the payment of God's wrath from us onto himself. And it was his humanity that allowed him to be like us and to suffer and die on the cross. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This little child that was about to come into the world was born on the of the ultimate symbol of humiliation and rejection, a Roman cross. That was his destiny. The innocent for the guilty, that's the grace of our God. An undeserved grace, for sure. The nature and workings of God and His grace toward us are, are difficult to understand, and that's where faith comes in. And Joseph needed all the faith that he could muster, and then some, to take all of this information in that he was getting and process it, and how to act in response and here is the part of Joseph's story that sometimes we overlook. The grace of God being given to Joseph. 
the favor of God being given to this no-name carpenter of little consequence. But this no-name carpenter named Joseph was given a great purpose from his Lord. And for those of us who call ourselves Christians, who trust in the Lord, we too have been given a great purpose by our God. Now we may not father Jesus, but we have been given a great purpose. Ephesians 2.10 in the passage Betsy read, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This purpose cannot come to fulfillment without having a saving faith in Jesus Christ who gave us this purpose himself since the beginning of time. The writer of Hebrews says this in verse 1 of Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith in something that we haven't seen but we hope for. And those of us who are here today, we hope in Christ. We have not seen him yet. We read of him and we see him in scripture, but our eyes have yet to see him. And yet we put our faith and trust in him. That is the faith that God is looking for. Can you have faith in something that I promise you, yet you have not seen yet? Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see, when God calls us to something that is out of our comfort zone, like sharing our faith with someone, or give money to the church, or, or any Christ-centered organization, or a person in need, it takes great faith. Maybe we need to give up something that we want for something that somebody else needs. Like maybe giving up money that you have been saving for a vacation to help someone else pay for their rent and provide food. Maybe there's something even more valuable that we have a really hard time with in our society today giving up, and that's your time. Taking time to meet with someone face to face or calling someone on the phone who needs to have prayer that minute. Sometimes we think our time is so important that we refuse to give it to someone else. But we need to be willing to give everything, including ourselves and our time. We are called to be people of great faith. We serve a big God. There is no other God. And we can pray big, great big elephant-sized prayers to this excuse me, to this God as long as we know they are based on his word and his perfect will, and we know that he will answer them because he says so in his word. That if we come to him and pray in his name according to his will, he will answer. We know this. But faith requires perseverance, and it takes courage, and it takes trust in our eternal king. Jesus to do the purpose that he gave us since before the beginning of time. So let's demonstrate the faith Joseph demonstrates and trust our Lord to fulfill his promises to us. Now again, Jesus was not going to be an ordinary child. 
Jesus had a great purpose, a great destiny to fulfill. And the destiny of this child is different than anyone at any time ever had before. This child is going to save his people, but not from the tyranny of the Roman government. No. This child is going to save people from their sins. Something even greater. Let's look at verses 22 and 23. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, Excuse me. <coughs> Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mary is having a son. In verse 22, it commands Joseph to name the child Jesus. God doesn't do anything without purpose behind it. And even the name of his son had purpose behind it because the name Emmanuel, the name Jesus, means it's not Emmanuel, it's Jesus. Emmanuel means God with us. It even says so in the scripture. Sorry, I made a mistake there. <laughs> the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. And he is given the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' people in this instance that he is talking about is the nation of Israel. God's chosen nation. But as we see later on in scripture, we Gentiles... We also become grafted in to God's family and are included in Jesus' purpose. But we have to talk about sin. Sin is, is something that Jesus came to save us from. And there's four things about sin that we need to look at. First of all, what is it? The second one is, what, who does it? The third one, what are its consequences? And four, how does Jesus save us from it? I know that sounds daunting. This will go really fast. What is it? It's essentially missing the mark or the standard. But whose standard do we miss? We miss God's perfect standard as laid out in his perfect word. He is above creation. He is above the world. And we have his word. We have the Ten Commandments. To not have any other gods before him. To not make any graven images. Now, I'm not going to go through them all. I'm trying to get you to think about what the Ten Commandments were that you learned in Sunday school so many years ago. But that is the standard by which we live as God's law. We are to be different than the world. We cannot live by the world's standard. We must live by God's standard. And God's standard is so high and holy that we cannot do it. So this brings us to the second one. Who does it? We all do it. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There isn't anyone who escapes sinning. We all do it. We all gossip. We all lie, cheat, steal, or, or become idol worshipers. We worship other things besides our Lord. We put our faith and trust in our money. We put our faith and trust in our own minds to be able to reason and make decisions. Without His will even to be considered. We all sin. What are the consequences of sin? Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is, is death. Like Matt talked about last week, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and sin entered into the world, it changed everything. 
It brought death. It brought physical and spiritual death. Everything was affected. So the consequences of sin is death. And for those of us who reject Christ, you put our faith in other things, that's a spiritual death. That means that we'll end up in hell. Well then, the last one is, is, well, how did Jesus save us from our sins? And this is the good news. This child came to save us. And he is the only one who can. He did this by taking his sins upon himself on the cross. By shedding his blood and taking our punishment on himself so we wouldn't have to. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Peter is quoting from the prophet Isaiah. So if we read all of Romans 6.23 with that in mind, we see that for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we think about this, and we sometimes forget that this little child that we have in our, in our nativity sets had a death sentence when he was born. Imagine that. A death sentence. He was going to be hung on a tree. He was going to take the most humiliating capital punishment man has ever invented for us. And he had done nothing wrong. And yet that was God's grace. That is God's grace. Do you understand what grace is? We don't deserve that. We should be on the cross. But we are not. That little baby went to the cross for us and shed his blood. It's humbling. By his grace, we have been saved through faith and not of works. We have nothing to brag about. Like Betsy read in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you've been saved by faith. And in the Greek, it draws this out and it says, this, you are not being saved just one time. You are continually being saved from that moment through eternity. Day by day, God saves you by His grace. That requires us to have faith and trust in Him. This is the gift of God. His grace given to you. Not your works, not my works. I can't save myself. And neither can you. So we need to stop trying. We have to see God's grace toward us, not only in Joseph and how he handled the situation with Mary or, or through Jesus' humble arrival here on earth as an infant child who in the manger was still holding the universe in place, but also in the gruesome crucifixion of Jesus 33 years later on a lonely hill called Golgotha. But Jesus didn't stay dead. No, he rose again three days later and he is now alive and living and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And there is the hope for us in his death and resurrection that he saved us from our sins. And so by accepting this gift of God, into your heart by trusting his promise instead of yourself you will be saved 
We must repent of our sins. Repent has become a bad word that we don't like to talk about. And it was never intended to be a bad word. Repent means quit running into destruction and death and turn and run into the loving arms of your Heavenly Father. How could that possibly be a bad thing? You're going from death and you're turning around and you're going to life to the one who created you in his image. We cannot earn our salvation. Jesus paid the price for us. And it doesn't just come from just some quick prayer that we say. <clears throat> we must pursue Jesus with everything that we have, that we would pursue, like I pursued Sherry, or anything else that we love. Maybe it's not a person, maybe it's a hobby. If you put all of your time and money into that, change and put it into Jesus. And let him do it. See what he does in your life. If you've never done that, then we need to have a talk after service so we can show you how. Either me or Matt or Zane or any one of us, we can help you. And now this takes on a little bit more meaning when we look at verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. And this is from Isaiah 7.14. And this is also God's generous grace grace being lavished upon us. He keeps his promises. He said Jesus would be conceived by a virgin and he will be known as God with us and he did just what he said he would do. But the fact that the one who spoke into existence every star we see in the sky for hundreds of light years away in an ever-expanding universe became human to dwell with his people. And die for them. That should bring about great awe in our hearts. There are not words to describe the awesomeness of this truth. John writes in 1 John 1, 1-4 that he saw Jesus with his own eyes. And that he touched Jesus with his own hands. And that he heard Jesus speak with his own ears. And the one thing that, I know we're not to add to Scripture, but he doesn't say this, but it's the truth. If he was around him that close, if he hugged Jesus, he smelled Jesus. Can you imagine the scent of God? Wow. So we have an eyewitness account that this happened. As we move to the last two verses, verses 24 and 25, we read of Joseph's awakening from this incredible dream that to realize that what he had dreamt was real. It was true. Obedience in the faith of God in action. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called, him, he called his name Jesus. He woke from his sleep and he obeyed the will of God spoken to him by the angel and he took his wife Mary and he loved her without shame. He loved her without shame. Without judgment, he took her into his home. 
And he did not have sexual relationships with her until her son was born. And we know that they did have a normal marriage after Jesus was born because Jesus has, he has siblings, like James in the book that we had just read or went through. But Joseph received the grace that God had given him, and he obeyed him, and he took Mary in. She, he received not only his wife, but this child that wasn't his into his own home. Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior of the world, his son, adopted son. Now the significance of Joseph naming Jesus is important for us to note. <clears throat> because in, jo in, in God's generous grace, he allowed Joseph to name the boy himself. Instead of doing it, God could have named him. God could have opened up the heavens and spoke and said, His name shall be called Jesus. But no, he didn't. He allowed Joseph to name Jesus. Why is that important? Because that was the formal acceptance and adoption of Jesus as Joseph's son. And Joseph was in the line of David. And he had to be from the line of David because that was God's promise. That this Messiah would come from the line of David. And so in God's grace he allowed Joseph to name Jesus himself and to formally adopt him into his family. It's the little things that we overlook where God's grace is sometimes the most amazing. Joseph accepted Jesus just as Jesus accepts you when you put your faith and trust in him. That he is the promised one who came to save his people from their sins. Who would go to die for those very people who would spit on him and mock him and beat him and yell, crucify him, crucify him. So when we think of this story, what are the things that we should take away from there? I wrote four things to take away. The first one is... <clears throat> As we saw the Lord commit to Joseph and Joseph commit to Mary and the Lord committing to his people by sending his son, we need to commit our lives to the Lord. We need to place our faith and trust in Jesus. And if you're not sure how to do that, then again, come and see me after service. Two, <clears throat> going back to the story at the beginning, when 35 years ago, when Sherry and I committed ourselves committed to each other when we got married, when we got engaged. And then over 2,000 years ago, Joseph, who would have left Mary but didn't, he stayed true to her. A commitment that the Lord requires a monogamous marriage with himself. He is our one and only. We cannot have more than him. He will not allow us to worship anything other than him. He is our God. He is the only one worthy. Let's not put our hope and praise in anyone else other than Him. For one thing, He will not stand it. He will not put up with it. <clears throat> we are to worship our Lord God, our Savior, alone. Three, 
As Joseph heard the angel speak the words of truth to him regarding Mary and the coming of his child and believed them, let us remember the promises of God to provide for our needs, to come to him in prayer in the name of Christ and trust that he is a promise keeper. The Lord's perfect will can be trusted and must be trusted for us to find any peace at all in this crazy world. And then fourth, the gospel message tells us that Jesus alone will one day return and we'll see him face to face as he really is. And just like in his first incarnation, it is a certainty that it will occur. We do not have to wish it will happen. We can know it will. To look at that blessed hope, no matter where we find ourselves today, no matter what circumstances we're in, we know that Christ our Savior will return for his people because you have been saved by grace through faith. You will one day see Jesus face to face. <clears throat> In the hymn, Someday the Silver Cord Will Break, Fanny Crosby, a missionary who, from, who lived from 1820 to 1915 and was blind from the age of six weeks old, six weeks old. She wrote many hymns, including this one. I want you to think about these words that she wrote, reminding herself that she is blind from six weeks. She has no memory of seeing. Listen to these words. Someday the earth, the, someday the silver cord will break, and I no more, and I no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of the king, and I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story of his grace. God's greatest gift that he ever gave was himself to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, God, for the hope of your coming into this world. Father, thank you for the gift of your grace that we can be saved by what you have done for us not only by your coming, but by your obedience to the cross. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We need to thank you more and more every day because we didn't deserve anything, and yet you gave us everything. And we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your message. We thank you, God, that we can take this message out into the world and share this hope with others so that they can see that there is a God who loves them and cares for them. And Lord, if there is someone here this morning who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today, today would be the day that you, oh Lord, that they would put their faith and trust in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, now we come.